Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Father, we just pray today that you'll speak into our lives, into our hearts. Lord, let your word cut deep into our hearts, challenges and restore us. We pray that it will do what you desire it to do. Help me to articulate it in the breath of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 12 verse 1, and we're going to go through to 11 verse 11. It says this, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was, re- what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed through the first and second guards and came to an iron gate leading to the city. And it opened for them by itself. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Amen. I want to talk today on the miraculous escape of Peter from prison. How many of you feel like sometimes you're in a prison? Come on, more of you than that. You feel like you're in a time when you, a season in your life, you're not in a physical prison, you're not locked up behind bars, but it feels like that in your life. There's situations you land yourself in that it feels like you're in a prison. And we see this amazing story and many others in the Bible, but this particular one where Peter experiences this supernatural event that releases him from this prison. It says as well there were four squads of four soldiers. That's 16 soldiers were guarding this man. And, and yet he seems to get free. And we know from this story he's free. But I want to focus today, first of all, on verse 9. And it says this, Peter followed the angel, him, out of the prison, but he had no idea. Say no idea. He had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. 
Now, we're in Acts 12. If you jump back to Acts chapter 10, you'll find that Peter is no stranger to dreams. In Acts chapter 10, he has a dream on the rooftop where he sees the sheet come down and these animals on the sheet that kind of releases this, this prophetic word or this dream, this vision to him that the, that the gospel will go to the Gentile nations. And he has this dream that the Holy Spirit then reveals to him uh, the truth of this and says, you know, three men are going to come in a moment and you've got to go with them, just go. And then he ends up going to Cornelius' house. And so he experiences vision, dream and reality. And then just two chapters later, he finds himself in a prison and he's going through this process of actual reality of being released from a prison. But yet it says that he thought it was just a dream. He actually thought what was happening was just a vision. And he didn't realize until afterwards that actually he had just been living a reality. I want to just suggest to you today... That some of you right now are believing for breakthrough. You're believing God to do something in your life. You're believing to release, be released from this prison that you're in. Released from this situation you find yourself in. But, but, but the problem is this, that actually because your situation hasn't changed, you don't think anything's happening. In fact, actually you don't think that God is actually doing anything for you at the moment. But could it be, could it be today that for you, that God is actually breaking through for you, even though you have no idea? Even though you can say to yourself today, I, 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 am, I have no idea what's happening right now. I can't see anything happening around me to suggest that change is taking place, that transformation is taking place, that breakthrough is taking place, that God is doing something for me. I don't know whether the goodness of God is following me. It's interesting when we sang that song earlier, His goodness follows all the days of our life. Your goodness is running after me. I I want to ask you sometimes when you're in a prison season, can you sing that the goodness of God is following you all the days of your life? I mean, for for me, sometimes I'd say, well, there's certain days I'm not so sure. There's certain days I, I feel so low that actually I begin to doubt whether God is actually working on my behalf. Is anyone like that here? Or do you feel like God's always just, you know, you wake up on the morning, you spring out of bed. And you're like, God's always working for me, even when everything's going wrong. Peter lives the dream. The title of this message today is Living the Dream. Living the Dream. Peter had no idea that it was really happening. I want to suggest to you today that breakthrough sometimes is hidden. Breakthrough sometimes is a process that you cannot see what is happening. In fact, God is doing more for you than what you think right now. He's doing more for you than what you know right now. He's doing more for you in your life than you could have ever expected. Oh, but no, no. Breakthrough happens when I I come to church that day and I realize that the very thing I asked God to do in my prayer, I saw happen this week. So now I got the breakthrough. Listen to me. Your breakthrough is a process and sometimes you have absolutely no idea what is going on. Can I say sometimes it's okay to have no idea? 
I don't know about you, but I sometimes have no idea what is going on. God didn't ask me to know everything that's going on. I've got to trust him. That's where trust comes in. And sometimes we doubt God and we want to give up. We want to give up on the dream. Now the thing is this. Remember this. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, who's no stranger to dreams... And also the dream coming to pass because it says that when he has this trance, this vision, and he sees these animals on the sheet, when he sees that, it says that the spirit says to him, when he's he's pondering about the vision, he says, quick, go downstairs, three men are going to come. This is the meaning of the vision. You've got to go. And the vision is this, that the message you carry, this thing that's inside of you, this fire that's burning, it's got to go further than the Jews. So there's a massive, massive mission for you. There's a dream for you. There is a a purpose for your life, Peter. It's massive. It's bigger than you could have ever imagined. You've got to believe in this. And so he starts to walk out and he goes and he ends up at Cornelius' house. And he sees that the power of God touches Cornelius. He's at the start of this ministry that's about to expand his purpose, his vision for the future. And then two chapters later, he's in prison. You could say, well, is that, is that it? Is, is, is that it? Acts chapter 11 tells us that Antioch church was birthed. The first Gentile church was, was birthed. So we see that he's already doing something through the lives of these men. But Peter could say, well, that's probably it. And some of you right now are saying... I did my bit and, I, and I've kind of reached this plateau. I've reached this ceiling and, and I've kind of hit the dream. I've kind of hit the level of where God wants to take me to. And, and, and I've kind of hit the Acts chapter 11. I had Acts chapter 10. God said this, Acts chapter 11, we've seen some fruit and maybe the prison is my end. Let me tell you today, the prison is not your end. Some need to hear that today. And some of you, Give up on the dream because you think that what you're living through is the end of the dream. Actually, what he was living through was the process of breakthrough. He was actually living the dream. He was living the dream in prison. He was living the dream of what God was going to do. Some of us don't, oh, when, when, when we can't see anything happening though, we're not living the dream. When I was in Pakistan and we came back just the other week, we get into the airport to return. I've never had this happen to me. Many, many of you may have had this happen, but we get into the aircraft in Pakistan. I'm ready for a two-flight trip back. The first leg is three hours from Pakistan to Abu Dhabi. And uh, we get into this, this aircraft. I sit down with my friend next to me on the ministry team. And, uh, and I'm ready. You know, you're raring to go. You put the earphones on. I'm just waiting for the food to come out. And I'm ready to go. And then all of a sudden they said, we've got a problem. One of the men on the the plane, he needs to get off the plane and show some of his credentials again. But this is going to cause a problem because the storms come in. And in 15 minutes, we won't be able to take off. So we're going to have to wait on the runway. Well, two and a half hours later, we were sat on the runway in Pakistan. I basically did the flight time, sat on the runway. Then had to do three hours. But through that time, I was watching the air stewardesses running around and trying to deal with people and the, the, the cabin crew and, and the pilot was locked away. And all I wanted to do is just kind of wander down and knock on the, on the cabin door and say, you know, what's going on? Are we actually leaving tonight? And I couldn't see what was happening. 
I'd ask the questions to the, to the cabin crew and they'd say, well, you just need to keep sat down so we, we're working on it, we'll let you know. And then I'd hear whispers and they were talking about getting us off the plane and I'm thinking, what's happening? I thought I was going somewhere, but it didn't happen in the time that I thought it would. I didn't know what was happening. I wanted to talk to the pilot. Some of you right now want to speak to God. You want to knock on the doors of heaven. You want to get into the cabin and you want to have a chat to God and say, why is it I've not reached that destination right now? And you, you, you kind of sat there and you don't know what's happening. And you're in a delay and you're saying, God, is this delay meant to be to the thing that you call me to do? I don't know if I'm living the dream. Let me tell you, you're living the dream. You're living the dream. You're living the dream while ever you sat there and it's not very nice. And you can't move and everyone's getting a bit hot and sweaty. You're living the dream. You're living the dream. But no, 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 I can't see anything happening. There's no change to my surroundings. Listen to me. Even when there's delays in your life, even when things are not going the way you want them to, a dream delayed is not a dream denied. When, when something delays, it doesn't mean that God is denying it over your life. Oh, well, Peter's in prison. He's in the cabin. He's, a, he's in the cabin. He's got cabin fever. You know, I had, a, I, had a, I had a word from the Lord two chapters ago that this, this word is going to go out to the nations. Well, it's not getting very far now, is it? I'm not so sure. Sat and sleeping between these prisoners, 16 soldiers assigned to me. Let me tell you, I know what it's like to have soldiers assigned. I went to a church last week in Pakistan. We arrive into this village. We jump out of the van in a Muslim community. And, uh, and I said to the pastor, I said, are we okay walking through? He says, just keep walking. I said, could they tell anyone? He says, the meeting you're about to go to, there's about 500 people going to be there you've got to preach to. He says, none of it's been publicized. They don't have Eventbrite. They don't advertise. They, do, they don't do any publicity. Why? Because it's so dangerous. So I'm walking through these streets to a meeting that no one's been. It's not been advertised. You do that here and one person would show up. 500 by word of mouth. Boy, it takes me six months sometimes to get people to come to a conference. The publicity, Facebook, Instagram. Word of mouth, 500 show up, hungry people for Jesus. Come on, church. I'm thinking of moving churches. I, I arrive then, we move, we move into the Christian area. And as we get into the Christian area, I see that there's a guy waiting for me on the welcome team with a gun. I mean, we've, we've only just moved to hand sanitizing gel on the door. This guy has a gun, AK-47. I had a photograph with him and went in this church and thought, I've got to preach in this. Are they really expecting? And I thought, this is just kind of, is it just a bit, not showy, but nothing's really going to happen, is it? I went in there and I preached. And at the end of the, the message, 500 people in there. I stepped off the platform and I'm praying for people and it's kind of a lot of commotion. The pastor's sweating because he's wondering what's going to happen. The whole order of things was out of play. But he wanted it to happen. And then I left that day and I was speaking to a pastor the next day. They said this to me. They said, in that room there will have been three other gunmen. And some of the guys told me this later on. But I didn't spot them. I was just too busy preaching. 
three of the gunmen that are watching that you're okay when you're preaching. In fact, they said that every one of those gunmen will leave their homes that night to come to the church and they will tell their families every time they come that this could be the last time that they come to go to church. And they all, this is from a pastor I spoke and sat with over breakfast, said, that man you met on the door is willing to die for you to make sure the word gets out. This is different. And I saw something different. And I realized that these people were willing to protect. These people were guarding me. They had a plan to get me out if I need to get out. I'm just too busy preaching. But I realized something that when people are guarded like that, they're protected. And, you know, Peter, there was an assigned plan to protect him from getting out. Sixteen people assigned to stop him from getting from this position. But how many of you know that when God wants to move, it only takes one angel against sixteen You can bring the best of what men can bring. But when God wants to take you out of something, to shift you to his promise, so you can live the dream, it doesn't matter who's against you. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. God will release you. Hallelujah. He'll release you. Oh, but I can't see anything happening right now. I feel the chains. I'm sleeping next to these soldiers. There are people restricting me in my life. There are people around me restricting me. I want to tell you there's nothing that can restrict what God wants to do through you. Nothing. Hallelujah. Jonah chapter 2 verse 10. Jonah tries to avoid the dream. What happens to him? He ends up in, he ends up in another prison. A fish. Talk about cabin fever. I mean, I thought, I thought the, uh, the, the little flight that I was on was bad, but inside a fish? And you notice in verse 10, Jonah prays inside the fish. It's what we call the distress call. He, he kind of hits the big red button and says, come on, I know what I've done wrong now. I, I need to get out of here. I'm a missionary. Get me out of here. No, I don't watch that program. And so he prays the prayer. He has a distress call. He prays a prayer. Can I just suggest something to you today? That the cabin that he's in, the prison that he's in, the stomach that he's in of this fish, when he prays the prayer, do you know what happens? That very vehicle that he's in, it starts to change its coordinates. And God starts to reprogram the sat-nav in its brain. It starts to take the fish to the destination of the dream. You see, when you pray, prayer makes things happen. Prayer shifts things. So if you're thinking right now that prayer is not doing anything for you in your situation, it starts to turn the vehicle. And the very thing that captured you, the very prison that you're in, now becomes a vehicle to the promise. You see, when God gets hold of things, he starts to reprogram the brain. He starts to reprogram the brain of that fish. And that fish, it says, it it, it spews him up onto dry land. That's all it says, dry land. It's not just dry land. It's Nineveh. it's, It's not just dry land. He didn't just throw him up and then he has to try and work his way to get back to the vision. No, God... In his distress, in his prison, he's living the dream. But he has no idea. Why? Because he didn't have a window seat in the fish. You can't see where the thing's going. 
Do you think that he knew all of a sudden the fish just sent a little sat-nav? Coordinates are right now. We're back on track for Nineveh. You've prayed a good prayer, so therefore you feel like you know where you're going now. Listen to me. All the time until he got spewed up, he had no idea, no idea where he was going. It's okay to have no idea. It's okay to not know what's going on. It's okay when you don't have a window seat and you're trying to, trying to look through the window to see when you're going to land and everyone else is enjoying it and you can't see. No idea. But God is always working. You're living the dream when it doesn't feel like it. Acts chapter 12 verse 5. It says that Peter was kept in prison. Let's call it the belly. He was kept in prison. But listen to this. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Peter's escape is not based on how spiritual he is. It's not based on just this vision and the promise. Some people think when they've got a word from the Lord, that the way they live, oh, I've got the word, so God's just going to just breeze me through life. Do you realize that you need people's prayer to protect the promise? Notice in Jonah chapter 2, he prays. Prayer recalibrates and recalibrates his direction. It puts him back on track. He had a promise to go to Nineveh. But prayer changes things. In this situation, in Acts 12 verse 5, Peter is in a prison. He's got a promise. Acts chapter 10. But prayer from the church is what helps him to get free. Listen to me, if you've got people around you right now and you believe God's got a major plan for your life, don't disregard people but get their prayers for you. You're going to need people to prayerfully support you through. Because if you try to do it as a lone ranger, the promise that you think in your heart is going to get damaged and attacked by the enemy. You've got to, you need people's prayers. The church was earnestly praying for him. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 10, God gave Peter a dream to live for, not a fantasy to live for. You can't live by a fantasy. He gave him a dream that would come to pass. And I believe there's some people in here that you feel like, actually, it's just a fantasy now. I can't do that anymore. The season I'm in is too dark. The season I'm in is too difficult. I'm not sure God can do this. I'm not sure that the word that the Lord said to me is going to happen. You know, when I was in Pakistan, one of the nights, that, one of the things I learned while I was out there is that you have not got time to prepare messages. And uh, one day I was out at the brick factories. I'd been out ministering to people all day. I was hot and sweaty, absolutely shattered. All I wanted to do is go back to the hotel and rest. And then one of the pastors, who's the head of all of the Elim churches for Pakistan, is the apostolic leader of 45 churches in in Pakistan, we traveled around with him. A beautiful man comes up to me and says, Phil, will you preach in a, in a couple of hours in a village? And I'm like, yes. I ran to the loo and got my notes out. And I'm, I'm, I'm preparing my message in the van on the way there. Lord, give me a word. You know, normally I'm preparing and giving lots of time, but I realized something that God was doing something in me that I had to strip everything back. And so I'm in the van preparing a message. 
And I step out and this particular night we walked out. I have never experienced anything like this night in my life. What I saw. We get out of this van in the middle of a village. And they lead us through all these people to a rooftop. We go up these steps onto a rooftop. 250 people approximately were on the top of this roof. For church. In the open air. We could see all the roofs of other houses. And we go up. And that night we ministered to people and prayed for the sick. People were getting healed. The Lord said to me, "When I want you to call out a word of knowledge. There's a young boy in here with a, a problem with his ankle. Call it out. So I said, Is there a prob- there's a problem here with a young person with their ankle. And first of all, an adult stood up. And I just felt the Lord said to me, you can pray for that person, but there's still a young person. You need to ask for the young person. So I ask again. This is the first word of knowledge I bring in front of 250 people in a foreign nation with a, with a translator. And I'm, I'm out of my depth. And I just looked out and all of a sudden this young boy stands and limps out towards the front. I asked him to come onto the stage and I felt the Lord said to me, just say he's going to be healed when you pray for him. So I did. And I was so scared because 250 people spectating in a foreign nation. And I put my hand onto his ankle and I've seen people healed. I've seen people not get healed. But this case, I'm I'm like, Jesus, please heal him. Because if you don't heal him, no one else is going to get healed because faith's not going to rise. So I put my hand on his ankle. This young boy stood there. Then all of a sudden he began to walk on the stage. Everyone began to roar as, as God touched his body. And he was completely healed. Started to walk around with his ankle. The Lord touched him. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Miracles and healings began to occur. Prophetic words began to flow in that house on this rooftop. As I got towards the end, I, I felt the, to pray for people, for the Holy Spirit to come and, and to fall in that, in that rooftop. And so I said, I, I said, many years ago, people were in an upper room and we're in an upper room on a rooftop. And we're going to pray tonight, the Holy Spirit's going to fall and fill people with a gift of tongues. And so as I, as I said this prayer, I said, everyone lift up your hands. I got the translator next to me. And as I said this prayer, and I invite the Holy Spirit to come. While I'm doing this, in the background, all I could hear was this. There was no keyboard. There was nothing happening Other than my voice, the translator, and hungry people, and the background noise was this. The Ramadan call to prayer in the village. Tannoying over. That was my background pad. That was my background noise. And as that happened, the Lord spoke to me before I prayed and said this. I told you because through prophetic words, he'd said to me, I'm going to take you to Islamic nations and you will preach to them. And as I stood there, many of you know we had the opportunity to go to Iraq a few years ago. I never actually went there for certain reasons. And and I didn't understand, God, is that what you want me to do? And all of a sudden I realized that God had just brought me into my destiny. That right now as I was speaking and God was touching lives across this room, that God's promise did not return void. That he said it and I'm going to do it. And I love music, and I love background noise, and I love that God helps, helps us in that. But there's something about when I prayed, and that he said to me, the translator said, you better be quick because we don't want people to hear us because it could cause a commotion in the village. 
And God began to touch people. And people were filled with the gift of tongues across this room. As the Ramadan call to prayer began to tannoy out in the background. The Lord used me as he said he would. I've gone through some cabin seasons in the last year. I've wondered, God, you said you were going to do that. I thought it was going to be that. But now I'm seeing it's this. Because I'm telling you, when I had no idea what was happening, God was always working. He was always leading me. He was always taking me. Because that's what he does with you. Hallelujah. Jesus. Wow, I've not even started yet. I'll be as quick as I can. I want to just bring a few things that why sometimes when you're in the cabin, sometimes you're in the fish, sometimes you're in the prison, you doubt God sometimes. I want to say don't doubt God's, number one, is unique intervention in your life. Is unique intervention. Get this. The thing is this, right? Peter, in verse 2 to 3, it says this. He saw... John being put to death by the sword. Now he sees his friend get killed. He sees his friend, sorry, James get killed. And when he sees this, and we're like this, we sometimes see the result of other people's lives and we compare it to ours and we think if God's done it that way, then... It's the same for me. And so what happens is, God gave you a dream. He gave you a vision. And so what the enemy does, he gets you in the comparison trap of someone else's life. So there's a point here which which Peter now is analyzing what's happening. He's getting seized by Herod to be put on public trial the next day. But when he's getting seized, he's just witnessed his friend get killed. How many of you know sometimes in your life, you can look at someone else's outcome of their life and think that's going to be the same for you? Maybe you've got an illness today and you're looking at the illness of what you've got. You're looking at the problems. You're looking at the relationship issues you've got right now. And you compare it to the outcome of someone else's life. But can I say to you today and suggest to you that God's intervention is unique for every individual. Hallelujah. I don't know why. I don't know why James got killed. But only God knows because the Bible says it's appointed to everyone to die. Then face judgment. I don't know why that happened. But one thing I do know is this. That he's in control. So some of you right now, you're looking and you're saying, I got this illness. I got this problem. And and I've seen that people die of that. Or they can have this cancer and there's no way out. That's what happened to my friend Fred. That's what happened to my friend Jane. That's what happened. And so the enemy starts to get you in a comparison trap. You get into personal comparison, which kills your faith and you begin to doubt God. That's how the enemy works. Can I tell you that that it's not about personal comparison that's going to free you and release you into your future. It's about personal conviction. It's not personal comparison. You see, I don't look at my issues and my cabin seasons and say, God, I looked and I've seen that people don't make it out of these things. I've seen what happened to my mate. That was rough. That's going to happen to me. No, I, don't, I refuse that. 
I refuse what other people they have in their lives. That's not the same for me. God's intervention in my life is unique for me. It's unique for the purpose. It's unique for what he said he was going to do. And it's unique for you too. So stop looking at other people. Hallelujah. It's unique for you. Don't doubt what God says. Otherwise you'll be deceived. Your destiny is not determined by the outcome of others, but God's will. It's his will for your life. His purpose for your life. I love this in Hebrews 12 verse 7. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. You the, to you the word of God. Listen, consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. It doesn't say consider the outcome and assume the same. It says, so it says consider what happened to the result of their life. But don't think, oh, that's going to happen to me. Consider the outcome, but imitate their faith. If you read Hebrews chapter 11 with the whole of, of, of faith, everyone had a different experience and a different journey. Because everyone is individual. And so what God wants us to do is consider their faith, not their outcome as the result for us. The faith is the same because it's the faith that gets you through. And so I want to encourage you today not to consider other people around you and say, that, that's my life because that's what happened for them. But consider and imitate their faith. Hallelujah. You know, when we were out that night on that rooftop, <coughs> I was praying for people and people were getting healed and Certain people, we had to, we had to literally leave. The, the team said, we've got to go now. We've got to leave. We've got to get back. And so we were, we were dragged through these crowds. It was like being in the book of Acts. I'm being dragged through. People were coming around us and saying, please pray for me. And it was just constant. And I'm like, God, I've never experienced anything like this. We, we were led out and through the crowds. And so I went and the next day I wake up and I travel again about an hour and a half drive to the home where all the, the children were. And we were going to be working there. And so we went there and I was ministering and praying for them and seeing even the kids get healed. I mean, one of the amazing stories was this, that Becky Murray, you may see a video out on One by One. She testifies to a young girl and she says, we've come to help these people. And one of the girls, she's been struggling with pain all in her arm and her leg. They use this as a, a video to share with people of the problems out there. Half an hour after that video was made, she got healed. The video's wrong. She's fine. They did the rooftop story. They came down into the place and they said, will you pray for this girl? I said, yeah. She got miraculously touched by the power of God. All the pain leaves her body from the pain that was from brick making. And I realized that God is touching people. And then I walk in this morning, I'm praying for people. Then all of a sudden, they bring in a man. They bring this man up to me. They said, Can you, we need to translate. This man was at the meeting on the rooftop hours away last night. He came all the way to find me. I said, well, what, why are you here? He said, you prayed last night, but I didn't find a change in my body. Please pray for me again. I said, I'm, sh I'm sure. And I thought, wow, God, this man is hungry. He's come all this way. And now he stood here. I prayed for him. The pain left his body there. 
I don't know why God didn't intervene the night before. I don't know why God didn't do it in my time. I don't know why God didn't do it then. But everything's unique for God. Everything's individual for God. And so then I began to prophesy over him. I had a one-on-one with him that I couldn't have had in the crowd. So now I minister to him and I speak prophetically into his life. The man breaks down. This is what he does next. He gets cash out of his pocket and tries to pay me for what's just happened. Because he's that touched. I said, take your money. This is not, it's free. Yeah, but we we always like to bless people. I don't want your money. It's for Jesus. It's him who's done this. And I realized something that, Why didn't it happen the night before on the rooftop in that amazing moment? Because God wanted to do something unique. God will do unique things in your life. So stop comparing to other people. Verse 3 says, this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. I read that sometimes and I I think, oh, that's fine. That just kind of gives us some narrative to what's happening. But I don't know if you're, you're like me. But if I think about that and I imagine Peter right now who's comparing and he's looking at his, his destiny thinking, if James has just got killed, that's the same destiny for me. And so now he's thinking, what can I do to get out of this cabin situation? What can I do to get out of this situation I'm in? And then he looks around and realizes this is the time of the season for unleavened bread, the Passover season. What did the Passover season represent? It represented celebration of deliverance from Egypt. Oh, maybe if I don't talk about this Jesus, maybe if I just go back to my old roots, maybe if I just celebrate with the rest of the Jews, maybe if I change my statement, maybe if I go back to what I used to do when I was a Jewish person, maybe if I celebrate with this, this unleavened bread season about the deliverance because I don't feel like I'm in any deliverance right now. I feel like I'm in captivity because they're about to chain me up. God, is this really you? Are you the same God, Jesus, that delivered them from the Egyptians? Because I don't know whether it feels like that now. I don't know whether to celebrate with them or to keep trusting in my faith and not doubt you. Some of you right now, you feel like going back to your old roots because you're doubting God. It's time to stand up for Jesus. Don't go back to your old roots because it looks safer. It looks easier. It might change your situation if you do some of those old things you used to do. No, Jesus says, keep trusting in me. Even though it doesn't look like it's going to be your help, it will be your help. Hallelujah. Number two, don't doubt God's ultimate intention over your life. Not just his intervention, his intention. It says that Herod intended him to bring him out for public trial. Do you know that the enemy has an intention for your life? Since you were born, he's out to kill, destroy everything about you when you're a Christian. Everything about your life, he wants to kill you off. All the way through, Abraham's promise was trying to be killed off. Jesus, I'm going to try and kill him off. Satan says, he wants to destroy Jesus. But sometimes when destruction comes, it's the very thing that brings victory. You see, what Jesus went through was the very thing that brought the victory. Some of us choose to exist in that dungeon of disappointment, I call it. Um, I'm in this season right now, this prison. I'm just going to exist. I'm going to exist in this dungeon of disappointment. 
All I'm going to do is stay here now, God. Maybe this is just it. I'm going to stay restricted and I'm just going to exist in my faith. God did not call you to exist. He called you to persist. He called you to push through. He called you to see the surroundings you're in and say, this is not me. This is not what God said. So I'm not staying here. I'm pushing through. And you've got to start to realign your, your, your attention to God's intention. What, what, what can man do to you to change God's intention? Herod intends, I'm going to do this. God says, no, I'm doing this. Some of us have got to realign our attention back to his intention. Oh, but he, he said that he's going to bring me out for public trial tomorrow. That's what his intentions are. The enemy's always got an intention over your life. That God's intention is always greater. In Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. Joseph the great dreamer. Gets right to the end of the story. And what does it say? It says. He says to his brothers this. He says you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. I don't know if you've ever got this before but. He says, you intended to harm me. I don't know about you, but I used to kind of read that and think, you intended to harm me, but you know, I'm feeling great and look where I am right now and God's just done this. It's all for his glory. I don't know about you, but I read that and I realized that Joseph was harmed. Do you realize that you can get harmed? Do you realize that you can get harmed by the enemy's attacks? Oh, no, no, that's not me. No, 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 no. Isaiah 54, 17 says no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Isaiah 54, 17 says no weapon formed against me in another version is going to succeed. It's not going to prevail. It can't. Nothing can harm me. Yes, it can. Sorry, everyone. But the enemy, when he comes to attack your life, you're going to get harmed. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get bruised. You're going to get wounded. You're going to get scarred. You're going to feel pain. Oh, you intended to harm me. Yes, you harmed me. But the harm is turning to good. The harm is turning to good. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, expect to get harmed. No weapon, no weapon formed against. Yes, a weapon can come and attack you. It can harm you. But listen to this. It never said that the weapon won't touch you. Not touch you. It will touch you sometimes. It will hit you. But it's what happens next. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm glad I understand today that I'm ready to be harmed because I know God's going to do something greater. If people harm me in my life, if people hurt me, they reject me, they abuse me, they do things that I didn't want them to do to me. Let me tell you, they have harmed me, they have hurt me, but let me tell you, it's what I do with the pain. It's what I do with the pain. Oh, but listen to me, but, but, but I'm wounded. No, you're winning. No, I'm in pain right now. No, you're prevailing. 
Oh no, I've gone through the pain, but I look at the scars from what I went through. That season I went through, the scars. No, you're succeeding. Hallelujah. Listen to me. Whatever you're going through, even when the weapon hits you, it doesn't matter if it hit you. It's what happens next. How do I know this is true? Oh, no, this is not true. This, is, this, this can't be right. It doesn't fit with my theology. No weapon is going to hit me because I've got this invisible bubble around me. No, you've not. Because God uses these things to develop you. You tell Jesus when he meets Thomas in John, the book of John, and he meets Thomas, and he, what does he do? He shows him the wounds in his hands and his side. You tell Jesus that he, that no weapon could come against him. No spear could come against him. No nail could come against him and get through that flesh. No, because he realized there was purpose in the pain. There's purpose in the wound. There's purpose in the scars. There's purpose because it will save many. So much comes from the wounds. Hallelujah. That's why in Philippians 1, Paul could say this, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. In other words, the chains on my wrists, the thing, the prison I'm in, is actually advancing me. Hallelujah. Finally, don't doubt God's unusual instruction. See, when you're in a prison and you're in a season like that, God will give you instructions on what to do. It says this, that suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. In verse 7, he struck Peter on the side, woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. It's interesting that same language is used in Acts chapter 10. Quick, get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Quick, get up. Go with these people. You've got to be quick. Listen to me. Hesitation is not something in the kingdom of God. You've got to move when God says move. Quick, get up, move, now. Oh, but is this you, Jesus? Do I need to go to another prophetic conference to get another confirmation that this is you? No. God wants you to act in faith. You don't see the three men at the door until you get downstairs and get your clothes on and go. When you get up, his chains fell off. You don't see gates open until you walk out. Oh, but I want, I'd like to see kind of a trailer to this. I want to see a trailer to what's going to happen, Jesus. Can you show me what will happen when we get to the iron gates in the city, please? Because they're pretty tough. I mean, these two, I get the two soldiers, but that iron gate's tough out there. Some of us want to know everything. And so, I don't know about you, but if I wanted to escape from prison, there's a key word that I'd use. I don't want to be covert. If anyone ever watched the film in the 1970s, Escape from Alcatraz with Clint Eastwood. Great film. I loved that film when I was, I was growing up. I used to love the fact that he had to get out of a prison cell. The only way out of it was a spoon. He got a spoon from the cafe. And he dug his way through the hall and Mix this little, every, every night, just chip away a little bit more and then cover it up again. And then he made a paper mache head to put in the bed to make it look like that someone was in the bed so that when he got out, people would think it's the person in bed. Total cover operation with a spoon and a bit of paper mache. But the angel comes and says this, get your clothes on. 
Get your, clo- get your cloak on. Stand up quick. Get up. Hang on. There's 16 soldiers hanging around here. Get your clothes on. In fact, get, get ready. Put your sandals on as well. You need your sandals. We're off on a journey. Follow me. Yeah, but there's only one of you. But I can't just get dressed. Maybe if I just run out and we get out of here quick, we need to do this covert. No, you need to do it as I say. You see, God sometimes asks you to do things in your seasons and your situations. And you start to argue with God because you want to do it in a different way. But the Bible says this in Isaiah. It says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So I'm not trusting in my methods. I'm trusting in his methods. His ability, his instructions of how he's going to get me free. Hallelujah. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. You've got to do it in this way. If you do it this way, it'll all work perfectly. When I went to Pakistan last week, one of the mornings they drove us in the van to the home and we arrived. And when we arrived, we pulled up and there were hundreds of people lining the streets with party celebration things. And, and I thought, what on earth is going on? This was the opening, the grand opening of the home. And so I'm like, wow, this is amazing. We pull up, we're with the team, Matthew and Becky are sat there. Then all of a sudden this chap jumps in the back of the van and sits with him and says, listen, this is the plan. He said, we've got three white horses. We want you three to ride in. On the horse as the entrance as we open the center. And then all of a sudden they reveal these three white horses they'd hired in. Especially for the grand opening. I thought why on earth am I traveling on a horse with Matt and Becky? I'm not part of one by one. I'm just here to pray for people. They bring out three white horses. These horses are galloping. They're moving around. They're all getting excited. We walk up. Matt and Becky get on their horse. The plan is this. You're going to get on the horse. You do everything we say. And we're going to lead you down. And we'll get the photographs. And we just want to celebrate what God's done. This is what we do here. So they get on the horse. And I went to get on the horse. But there's nothing on the back of the horse to sit on. It's just literally no saddle. So I walk up, Matt and Becky are on there and they're all ready and the smiling photographs are taking place. The children, everyone's just praising. And, you know, this is like, this is my moment of glory. Talk about getting a good Facebook shot. And the guy says to me, he goes, this is how you got to do it. So he gives his instructions and he says, put your, he says, I put my hands out. He says, step up. There's nothing to get up onto the horse with. And my moment of glory in front of hundreds of people. I jump up onto the horse and I went straight over the other side and fell off. <laughs> Literally. Literally. To the point where Matthew and Becky couldn't stop laughing. The second time, I only just made it on the second time. The children were laughing. The, everyone was laughing. My, my moment of glory was ruined. You've got to follow the instructions. This is the plan. You've got to do this. Put your feet. I, wasn't, I was so nervous. And then the problem is, is when, when it failed, the plan failed. And I messed it up. Didn't feel like trying again. I thought, can't someone else just ride this thing? Maybe this is not for me. Maybe someone else is better at doing this than me. And some of you are like that today. You can't cope with 
the fact that you tried God's instructions and you failed and you fell off. You can't cope with it anymore. So you say, I can't cope with not knowing my way and not knowing your thoughts and not understanding and I'm starting to doubt God. So maybe someone else is better at doing this than me. Maybe someone else is better at uh, doing this. But listen to me. Do you know what I realized when I got on that horse and there was no, no saddle and there was absolutely nothing there? Do you know one thing I realized on that little journey down when everyone was taking pictures and I was trying to smile, but really, I was holding on for dear life. <laughs> By I have no idea what, because there was nothing to hold. But I realized something. When you trust God... In the plan he has, there's only one thing you can do. Hold on. Hold on tight. Because if there ain't any saddle, and everything is not how you would have it, and it's not the way that you would do it, and it's not the way I thought I would have done this, all you've got to do is hold on tight because it's the best way. God wants you in a place where there's no saddle. He wants you in a place where you tried and you fell off, but you still get back on again. And you trust his instructions for what he's going to do. When you give up the control, you can only hold on. If I can have the team back, that would be great. Hallelujah. Sorry if this has gone longer than I thought today, but really wanted to share this word with you because I really felt God has spoken to me this week to encourage you. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways, different to the way that I would do things, God. I ain't got a window seat at the moment. I can't see. I can't see what's happening. I can't see what's happening around me. You know, recently I was in my car driving and I was going to a destination. With my sat nav in. And it came up and it popped up and it said, take a faster route. Shave 10 minutes off your journey. Do you want this? I said, yes. Yes, please. Press the big green button, go. The problem is that when I took this faster route and I took the instructions from the sat-nav, the destination I was going to, I knew the way without the sat-nav, really. The problem is the faster route took me on a journey I didn't know. So the problem is now is that I know I'm going to get there. But I've got to trust the instructions. I've got to get there because I can't trust my surroundings to determine my location because that's what I normally do. So the only thing I can do now is listen to the voice all the time and not miss anything because I don't know where I am right now. I mean, I was turning down streets, turned down Mary Lane. I don't know where Mary Lane is. And I kept on going and I'm going down all these lanes. Following the instructions. Because the only thing that was directing me was a satellite above from a different perspective. And some of you right now, you want God to give you the surroundings and your coordinates to know where you are. But when you trust God and his ways and his thoughts, they're higher. So you've just got to trust the GPS and the satnap. You've got to trust that he's seeing where you are even though you don't know where you are. His ways are higher and thoughts are higher. It says this, Acts 12, 10, they passed 
the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate leading to the city and it opened for them by itself. How many of you know that the gate didn't open by itself? If you've got out that far, you realize God's in control. Yeah, the gate did open by itself, but I'm sure there was something helping it. The gate to the iron gate, the gate opens. The gate opens. The, the, the restriction, all these layers. These things that you've got to battle through, there are things right now you're thinking, if I get out of this bit of prison though, there's another layer of security, there's another layer of problems, then I've got to get through that one. And then when I've done all that, I've got to get to the iron gate, there's so much work involved. In John chapter 11, when Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, the very person that just said, even now this can happen, is now saying, oh there's a bad smell here, a lot of work here. Every time you get through a layer of security, you're saying, I don't know if I can cope with this. I don't know if I can get to the end. But listen to me. Listen, I've put it here as a little quote for you. Whenever you only ever access all what God has for you, when you accept all what God says for you to do. So you're only going to ever see the gates open, the very thing that God's destiny for your life, if you do everything he says. Peter had to do everything that the Lord said. When he did, he saw the levels of security break down until the iron gates open. And it says that when he got through, he realized, actually, I've been helped. Actually, I'm in the Lord's hands. Actually, this ain't no dream. I've been living the dream. And now I'm in freedom. It's the same as when I was in prison. Because the same God is with me. He never leaves me and he never forsakes me. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just stand. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.